Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the More Perfect Union, the podcast that offers real debate without the hate. I'm Kevin Kelton, and I'm joined by... DJ McGuire, a trade war conscientious objector from Suffolk, Virginia. <laughs> I'm Rebecca Kushmeider, a frantic feminist from Kensington, Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Greg Matuzak, a common sense liberal who will probably be quieter in this episode than any other episode with you two um, from <laughs> Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> and I'm Kevin Kelton, a moderate Democrat. Greg, I just want to point out something. You know, I was watching uh, Governor Hickenlooper being interviewed on one of the morning shows today, and he stole your logo. He's calling himself a common sense progressive or a common sense governor. So he didn't call John Kasich an asshole, though. I was going to say, no. did he say, like, <laughs> John Kasich's an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> that's Greg's other slogan. That's my other. That's exactly what I was thinking. But there's now two common sense liberals, you and John Hickenlooper. Who's the original? Um, first of all, seeing as I think that if we took a popularity contest or like who knows who more, I think I would actually win. And, <laughs> and even if we took a poll, as in who's the more popular, like who's got more votes? No, in the no, 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 no. The question is, which came first, the Hicken or the Greg? Oh, sweet Jesus, DJ. Oh, <laughs> and we want to remind everybody to check out our website, mpupodcast.com, and look for us on Instagram at MPU Fan Club. And Rebecca, I understand that you've been reading a lot of books, and you're going to post some photos of the books you've been reading uh, to the uh, Instagram yes. account? Yes, the, the one I want to share the most for folks who are concerned about kind of the state of things, there's a book called The Handbook for a Post-Row America by Robin Marty, which is a fantastic resource to understand um, where things are headed in terms of access to reproductive health care. And the other one I'm reading, um, this is actually Greg's recommendation, it's called One Nation Under God, How Corporate America Invented Christian America by a Princeton historian named Kevin Cruz. And Greg, Greg actually knows um, Professor Cruz, and he's he fantastic knows. so far. Okay, let's be clear. Greg's wife knows him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he grew up, he, uh, uh, Professor Cruz grew up with my wife's family, like in the same neighborhood. He was best friends with my brother-in-law. Uh, he hung out with, with them. He actually attended my wedding. He gave a really nice toast. Uh, he said my wife and I went together like, uh, ham and melon, um, which was a very Italian thing. He's super smart. <laughs> uh, he's incredible on Twitter. He gets into these really, uh, great Twitter fights with, uh, uh, the convicted felon, Denise D'Souza. Um, <laughs> And, and he's really, really worth following him and another, and a, a large group of historians, uh, kind of see it as their jobs to correct politicians when they, when they lie. And don't you hate when people do yeah, that? What, when they correct politicians? <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, it, it's really great. It's, uh, I really have a lot of respect for him. Well, let's take our mid-meeting break from Rebecca's book club to do uh, a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, this week, the issue of a woman's right to own her own body and decide what happens to her body reared its ugly head in uh, in our politics again. In states like Alabama, 
and Missouri, and where else? Georgia. Georgia. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a sad commentary on where we are as a country and where we are politically. Rebecca, I know this is an issue that's near and dear to your heart. You know, you wrote some interesting things this week that you've shared with us. Why don't you share with the audience what your take is on this? This is not a surprise, what, what has happened. We have three laws that are, you know, written to be as extreme as absolutely possible. They are bans on abortion beginning at the point that um, the fetal pole cardiac activity can be detected. It's it, Biologists would say it's not a true heartbeat. It's more of an electrical impulse um, attached to the central nervous system that's in its nascent stages of development at six weeks. But, you know, sentimentally speaking, everyone says, oh, it's a heartbeat. As soon as there's a heartbeat, it's a real person. And so that's, as most of us know, before many people even know they're pregnant. And it's it's a ban. You 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 won't be able to access abortion. There will be, you know, the the Georgia law includes the potential for investigating all miscarriages to see if it might have been done on purpose. There are penalties if you misbehave in pregnancies to do something that might cause a miscarriage, not even an intentional um, causing a miscarriage like taking mefepristone, but, you know, doing illegal drugs that could lead to miscarriage. Um, in Alabama, there are no exceptions for rape or incest. It's These are as draconian as can be written. The intention is not for these laws to go into effect wholesale. They are to spur lawsuits by the ACLU, by Planned Parenthood, by other patient groups to try and take it up to the Supreme Court and have a wholesale review of Roe. And uh, that's going to happen. There's there's no way for it not to happen. So that's where we're headed. And this is not this isn't a surprise. These six week bans have been introduced and passed and vetoed and not signed. You know, many times over the past few years, it was only a matter of time until the right wing felt that the court circumstances were conservative enough that one of these uh, lawsuits had a possibility of being upheld. Does anybody here still think that the Supreme Court is only going to, quote unquote, chip away at Roe? Or do you, like me, think that they are going to wholesale toss it and return the issue to the states? I am unsure of what the court is going to do because I don't know what Justice, what Chief Justice Roberts is going to do. I would agree uh, with you, DJ. I'm I'm about ninety percent convinced that Roberts will will vote for a flip. But these laws have been written so extreme that it's going to be hard for him to to dissect them enough to 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 yeah. pick a few pieces of it. Like they 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 may have screwed their own legal strategy because he is so good at narrowly construing things. But um, yes, oh, they, he's he's yeah. the wild card right now. And they and they did a, and they did a lot more than that. And well, okay, to me personally, they did a lot more than that. They essentially read me out of the pro life movement. I know I have said before that I still consider myself pro life. I still think that I I, I still believe that a, a child born is a child saved, as far as that goes, or as as far as up to that point. But watching the pro life movement. And the way it has behaved over the last month or so, or particularly over the last couple of weeks with these various laws, I would have to say, first of all, they are they are so amateurish in what they're doing that they can't call themselves pro in anything. Um, <laughs> but more to the point, um, you know, we, I have I'll, I'll 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 be I'll be perfectly honest. For thirty odd years, ever since I became really politically active and politically concerned, I have always. Uh, held this belief that uh, we could find a way to protect preborn children in law while still being compassionate and still being concerned about the fate of women who would deal with this. That idea kept my naive soul warm for 30 years. That idea has now made contact with the real world, and I'm finding that what actually kept my naive soul warm was a freaking dumpster fire. Uh, <laughs> they have... The movement has had 40-odd years to address the concerns and criticisms thrown at it regarding concerns about equality, making sure that the costs were borne by all society, not just women of childbearing age, to deal with the concerns about uh, the autonomy of women, finding some way to square that circle or at least to just make the effort. 
They have clearly shown over the last two weeks that they paid no attention to any of those. They've just decided that everybody who disagrees with them is acting in bad faith, and now quite a few of them have acted in bad faith as well. For those of us who dealt with, who know something about property law, those of us who know something about how local governments do easements and such, you know, easements for utility lines, easements for gas pipes, that kind of thing. A woman now can get more compensation for an easement on her front lawn than she can for an easement on her midsection. We need to actually step back and think how utterly ridiculous that is. So I am now saying that, you know, and and for those pro-lifers who are listening and who are ready to defenestrate me from the movement, to quote the Eagles, I'm already gone. <laughs> I can no longer support these laws that are clearly have made no effort to address the matters of equality and bodily autonomy. And by the way, are basically proven to be completely ineffective. And I'll show you how. Rebecca, may I ask you a couple of questions? These are political questions, not personal. Absolutely. Uh, talked about four. One. Assuming the law does not change, and by that I mean the law here in Virginia and Maryland, assuming the Alabama and Georgia laws get thrown by the wayside, one, would you support a policy that backdates child support to to nine months prior to birth to ensure that the father takes care of pregnancy costs and such as well as child-rearing costs? So you're talking about making the sperm donor um, – the sperm provider responsible for medical costs related to pregnancy? Uh, yes, for, yes, for, okay. for, for mother well, and child. For Absolutely. supporting the, the fetus. Right, for, 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 uh, for supporting the pregnant mother. Fetus okay, included. so, and I'm, I'm just, I'm clarifying this not because I, I'm, I'm not going to gotcha on this. I'm just trying to no, get, no, no, gauge fine. where you're thinking. So I not, not that. just the cost of obstetrical and gynecological care in that case, but also, um, transportation to and from doctor's appointments, support for missed days of work, paying rent, helping pay for, you know, buying a, a crib and a breast pump. Okay, so the father should be uh, have there should be some some percent he, he should be forced to participate in those costs. Yes, I mean I'm, I'm in yeah. support of the, I, I'd be in support of that regardless. I mean. Change the laws, don't change the laws. That's not a bad idea to make both parties in a pregnancy. <laughs> it's good parties policy. Parties in the pregnancy. <laughs> it's good policy, right? Okay. Okay. Would you support, uh, and I kind of know the answer to this, but would you support a family leave policy that fully compensates the woman for lost wages due to the pregnancy and early child rearing? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, I support the Canadian style system Oh, or, or the Scandinavian systems. Yes. Right. Would you support a law that also compensates for lost income due to the career impacts on the mother for now having to balance work and family? In theory, I do support it, and I am basing my support almost entirely on a concept invented by a mystery-slash-fantasy writer named Nora Roberts, um, who it has a bunch of books set in the 22nd century where she talks about professional mother status, where you can you can opt for that and leave the workforce. And I would support something along those lines. I don't know if that's what you're thinking, but Part you, of it. you know where you could go be a professional mother for a number of years, and that has wages and benefits attached to it, and then you can return to the workforce and forego that program. But again, I'm 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 citing a romance writer's idea. Of That's policy fine. Here. That's fine. I'm actually going a little beyond that, and including, for example, if you're out of the workforce for a, for a year or two, and then you come back in, there would be some expected increases in salary that you normally would have gotten if you had stayed in the workforce. That you can't. Yeah. That you're okay. Th- those kinds of things I would include too in the compensation. Sure. And that, and that's not a bad idea. I it's not a hill I'd die on, but I I, I see where you're coming gotcha. from, and I think it's a fun right. idea. Right. My, now, my question is for these and other things for to, to compensate the effects of the pregnancy, which is what I'm really trying to get at. Just give me a rough idea, ballpark figure, on how many women do you think would come to – how many women who have recently had abortions do you think would come to a different decision and decide, you know, maybe I can keep and raise that child based on this economic support that I'm now going to get? Based on surveys of rationale behind – abortion choices. Um, and I'm, I'm loosely, I, I don't have the Guttmacher site up right in front of me, but I think the number is somewhere between 35 and 40% of people who get abortions cite economic factors as the primary reason. So for that third to close to a half of the people 
who, absent economic concerns, would perhaps choose to parent, then that those policies would have an impact. Yes. Okay. So now what, what, what we're effectively saying here, folks, is that there is for... The, the last data we have is from, on abortions is from 2015. The data was reported in two, last year that about 635,000 abortions occurred in the United States in 2015. So what we are now saying is the policies that we're talking about that would have broad support among the spectrum, which the bans don't have, would save about 200,000 children this year, right now. So while the pro-lifers are trying to argue to get the right case before the right judge in the right court and blah, 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 there are 200,000 children who are dying that don't need to die because the pro-life community will not shift its resources to policies that could actually save children. While the court argues the case next year, and they're not going to make a decision until July of 2020 because, well, they keep their big controversial decisions for the end, that's another 200,000 children who are going to die who need not die. While your state legislators are running for re-election and hoping they survive the onslaught of anger from women long enough to actually enact legislation sometime in 2021, 200,000 children are dying that do not need to die. The pro-life community has made a horrific strategic mistake. I don't know whether it is just naivete or whether it is actually bad faith on the part of these people who have other, frankly, chauvinistic, uh, chauvinistic objectives. I leave that to others to decide. All I know is the community is making a terrible mistake. These bans are horribly ineffective. Utah already passed one, and the only district attorney who oversees abortion clinics in that state has already said, I'm not enforcing this. I'm not prosecuting anybody in this state. Mm-hmm. District attorneys in, in, in DeKalb County and Fulton County have already said they're not prosecuting anybody under the Georgia law. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Next up. So the fact of the matter is, even in the states where these things are passed, there's no guarantee that this is going to save a single child. And in fact, it almost certainly won't because the two dozen plus states that will not change their abortion laws are will almost certainly end up hosting temporarily all the women who do, because I guarantee you they will cert- – I mean, I, I already have the motto in my head, Liberty Express, when you absolutely positively need reproductive health services overnight. Mm-hmm. And if I can think about it, then th- th- then others can think about it. Well, These abortion bans will not save any children. I was utterly naive to think they were. And, Rebecca, I apologize to you. I apologize to my wife, Aura. I apologize to my number one fan, Sally. Hi, Sally. <laughs> and I apologize to every women listen- woman listening, and I apologize to the women not listening. My naivete blinded me. They were the scales on my eyes. They have fallen. These bands are ineffective. They are useless, and I now oppose them. Well, DJ, your apology is accepted. And uh, if, oh, if Oral were here in my house right now, she and I would do a little happy dance. Um, but what wasn't you, accepted by me because he didn't offer it to me. Well, so. <laughs> yeah, you, you and your uterus can weigh in later. But what DJ is getting to here, and this is fascinating because you have come about come to this in the most roundabout way I have literally ever seen in my years of talking about this stuff, is the idea of true reproductive justice and what a what most pro choice. activists will tell you is it's not that we want everybody to be able to get an abortion. We want everybody to be able to make the choice that is best for them. And that means supporting an infrastructure that allows the unplanned pregnancy to not be a crisis pregnancy. It's not an unplanned pregnancy is not necessarily unwanted. I was just writing an article about Kieran Culkin and his wife, Macaulay Culkin's little brother and they had a surprise pregnancy and they're delighted they're like oh this we didn't know we wanted this till it happened we're super stoked about it because they have the infrastructure in their life to make that a feasible change in how they live without it being a crisis to them that's not true for many many hundreds of thousands of people every year and i want to eliminate those barriers to parenting as much as i want to eliminate barriers to abortion care i would like every pregnancy to be a wanted pregnancy and for the remainder of pregnancies that aren't wanted or that are wanted but are not viable or would cause so much harm to the pregnant person that they're not safe i would like there to be non-judgmental comprehensive access to the necessary types of care. And 
you know, we are a long way off from that, a long way off from that. And, you know, and, and, but what this all demonstrates so clearly is that abortion is the tip of a wedge of denial of service in medical care that affects marginalized populations disproportionately. And it's not fair and it's not right. And it should actually probably be considered a human rights violation. So, so wasn't it? Well, I've got, I've got several takes. So was it this week? That the uh, GOP's was he a representative got caught uh, with texts from his mistress. Who got, actually it was it was 2017 that it that was happened. 2017. He, he was forced to yeah. resign. But he yeah, was, yeah, he was. Yeah. Well, and yeah. Elliot Broidy right. um, had a he had a had a, a woman that he had gotten pregnant and she had chosen not to abort even though he had suggested, hey, I'll pay for your abortion if you want. And I believe Michael Cohen facilitated the child support package that, you know, that was sort of an off the record thing. So right. yes, that there, there are all these men who allegedly are aligned with a party that, that state makes banning abortion part of its platform. But when the chips are down, they, you know, are willing to consider it as an option. Right. And there's actually a, a, a good article. It's, it's been around forever by, um, Joyce Arthur. Uh, it's called, um, the only moral abortion is my abortion. Have you ever read mm-hmm. that? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I have. And it's it pretty much it's by a lot of I'm going to use the word pro life because I think DJ coined the term they're more pro birth than pro life because they don't really let's let's be honest give a shit what happens after they're born because otherwise people would be screaming about these kids in cages and whatnot. But what happens is you have a lot of these people who are significant or you know they're outside marching. Something happens whether it's for economic for personal reasons. They get pregnant and they're not prepared. And then they go in, they have the abortion, they come out and they go, I don't know what happened. That was terrible. That wasn't me. I was hysterical. And they give every <laughs> excuse in the book. <laughs> There's one of the stories where they say, you know, my husband wants me to do this. And they say, stop. Okay, well, look, if your husband's making you do this, we can't do this. And they go, and she goes, okay, I'm doing this. Um, and it's the hypocrisy of this culture, which, you know, this is great um, when it's not you. And and we see this a lot. And that's bullshit. Yeah. Life begins at the conception of someone else's sperm. Right. Oh, yeah. But there was there was an amendment offered to the Alabama bill that would have increased child support and safety social social safety nets for people who were bringing children to term that they otherwise might have might have chosen to abort and that amendment failed and that tells you everything you need to know about that law and the motives behind it it's about control it's about insisting on a particular ideology and for the most part banning abortion is easy when you are sitting in a place of privilege because either you will not need one if you are not a person who can become pregnant which many many legislators are or if you do need one you can fly to California fly to New York get the procedure and fly back home and never tell anybody you know it's the abortion is a private private process and nobody defaults to thinking oh she went away to uh, a neighboring state for a weekend you know, she was probably looking for a college, or she was visiting a, a relative, or or whatever. You don't. She you was don't shopping assume. for prom dresses. P- right, know? exactly. It's it's easy to keep it a secret. So it's it's, but it's very easy to pass laws that you don't think will ever apply to you. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of twenty three year olds going out of town for a facelift. <laughs> um. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Out of curiosity, real quick though, let, t- let me t- add that. Would that be a felony as part of the uh, the Alabama law if they that, found out it that would, she- it, you know what it's uh, there are provisions written in the Georgia law that it would be conspiracy to commit murder if you assisted somebody in leaving the state for the purposes of getting an abortion. There's almost no way to uphold that. Somebody made a great analogy on Twitter. I wish I remember who'd said it. It was. Gambling is legal in Nevada, but not in Hawaii. If you go to Nevada with the intention to gamble, you cannot be prosecuted under Hawaii law for it. So, you know, there's that that sort of precedent in place on the idea of this conspiracy to commit murder if you across state lines. However, there are laws about helping a minor go across state lines to for the purposes of getting abortion that are already on the books. And those will come Mm -hmm. into play in these discussions. 
You know, I wonder if this is actually there's an old Soviet joke about the government dissolving the people and electing another. There's a lot of that in what's happening here because you're essentially one of the effects of this is going to be a lot of women who would normally vote Democratic in Georgia and Alabama are going to decide they would rather live somewhere else. I would not be surprised if that was also an unspoken incentive of the folks who are pushing these bills. It wouldn't surprise me. I've actually I've had more than one conversation this week. Um, a, a friend of a friend is consider, is planning to go to graduate school in Ohio and is concerned about a law that's been introduced there that has not yet passed that would make birth control very difficult to get. And this this potential grad student is thinking, well, geez, do I actually want to go to Ohio? And I said, call the university and tell them. They have, you know, they have a, a government relations office that can make those calls. I have a friend who just turned down a job in Georgia, in part because of the, the new laws in Georgia. So there are going to be far ranging effects from this because people don't want to be privy to this. Apparently, Hollywood is going to be changing shoot locations away from Georgia. Jason Bateman, who is in like what every show currently filming, says he's not going to go film in Georgia anymore. That would have been useful three weeks ago. I wish Jason Bateman had started wielding his Thor hammer then. But, um, you know, or if he had or if he had, you know, said he was going to withhold sex. Yes, until. he could have withheld sex from the entire state <laughs> that, of Georgia. That that would have worked. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's dreamy too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think he is. I think he actually is withholding sex from the entire state of Georgia. I'm just guessing. Uh, <laughs> oh, if, if, but yeah, I mean, but but all of these things. I mean, this is a social justice issue. Jocelyn Elder said many many years ago, former Surgeon General, if you can't control your reproduction, you can't control your life, and it's true. And we all. We all understand that we have to act responsibly and act in our own best interest when it comes to our sexual and reproductive behavior, but that does not mean that we can be 100% certain of what the outcomes are going to be. And as sexual beings, beings that do have sex, we have to be prepared for all possible outcomes. And as a society, we are not. We are prepared if you have the means to raise a child, but if you don't, you're really screwed. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. People in these parts are awfully fond of Grater's ice cream, Skyline Chili, but what they're really fond of is the More Perfect Union podcast, Real Debate Without the Hate. Okay, so back to the topic of abortions. DJ, they want to abort free trade in this country. Um, How do you feel about that? (laughs) You know... I just okay. Let, let I, I will try as as quickly as I can to summarize what has happened over the last two weeks. Of course, we're talking about the trade war. That was my segue. Oh, I, so I, 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 I know war. you knew. I just wanted for the audience. I think the audience she gets spit that. Spit out her wine. That was pretty. Funny. So here, here's what we have here. The 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 president, uh, and sadly, that's who he is. Uh, has has raised tariffs on China and has put in the works proposals to to rate to impose tariffs on just about everything that China sends to the United States. Now, as somebody who hates the Chinese Communist Party, uh, I used to actually think that was a good idea. I don't anymore because I realize that it's you know China doesn't pay any of those tariffs, despite what Trump says. It's the American consumer that does, uh, and then American businesses who rely on on inputs that are imported. The better thing to do would be to lower tariff and trade barriers with all of our allies in the region and all the democracies in the region. But Trump set that on fire when he walked away from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which I still think is the greatest mistake of his presidency. And that's why the presidency littered with mistakes. 
To make it even worse, he then said that he was going to take the money from the tariffs to buy all the soybeans that the Chinese would have bought from their tariffs that they imposed on us and then send it all around the world as if somehow soybeans are going to feed the world. The only way this works is if the is if Trump has decided he's going to create a new company called Trump Tofu and sell it all <laughs> to the rest of the world. It also show it also shows us hang on a second. It also shows us that in fact Donald Trump's real complaint against the socialists in the Democratic Party was that they weren't socialist enough. He wants to go full Stalinist on on taking on buying our our farmers proper our farmers crop and making it a government cro- government food to send around to the rest of the world. Full Stalin, and now Bernie Sanders has to wonder how he became Bukharian when nobody noticed. Um, Rebecca, what were you going to say I, before I, was, I go on? I'm going to interject a few things about soy markets, because while I am not an expert on soy markets, I am married to one. So I have these discussions over dinner. We're a fascinating couple. You should come over. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. The we the Chinese made up a significant majority percentage of our soy export market prior to 2018. Right now, soy farmers are sitting on literal piles of soy that they cannot properly store because of steel and aluminum tariffs, and they can't sell because of soy tariffs. So that's delightful. The Chinese are now buying their soy from Brazil. Brazil is thrilled. They could not be happier about this. They're stepping up production. As for why the Chinese are buying soy, it's not to eat tofu. It's to feed their hogs. So if we are importing Chinese pork in any way, we are then paying the tariff again in the cost of purchasing the pork that have eaten the soy that Trump built. Exactly. That sounds like a children's story. It's it's the worst (laughs) children's story ever. Like I say, talking about soy markets is not actually that thrilling. And my husband and I do it way more than you'd think normal people would do. It turns the Lorax into doctors. It it turns the Lorax into the cat in the hat. Yeah. Uh, By comparison. And it's actually going to be even worse now because Trump is now threatening to impose tariffs on on cars and car parts imported from the European Union and Japan because he has declared them – I kid you not – he has declared foreign cars and foreign car parts to be a threat to national security. That's right. The Nissan sitting in my driveway is a threat to national security. I wouldn't be surprised if he puts the damn thing on the SF-86 security form. Do you own a foreign car? Oh, I'm sorry. You can't get your security clearance. Now, to be fair, is what he's saying that our failure to manufacture our own components to manufacture cars without assistance from foreign markets, is that the threat to national security and not that your Nissan is going to turn around and start shooting people in MAGA hats? Yeah, or or has he just been watching like James Bond movies and he's like, I noticed James Bond always has machine guns in his headlights. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> Why don't we come up with something that unites us and, in fact, unites the whole country? Derision at the Bill de Blasio for president (laughs) campaign. (laughs) What is this man thinking? I just, the only Democrat who did worse in 2017 than in 2013, the only Democrat who lost support in the Trump era, now thinks that he should run for president of the United States. I, I am amazed at the, as to, to quote an old Babylon five line from Lando Malari, Lando Malari, arrogance and stupidity all in the same package. How efficient of you. (laughs) I haven't thought of Babylon five in a minute. Um, well, I mean, didn't somebody wasn't wasn't an anonymous staffer quoted as saying that Bill de Blasio hates being mayor and he's bored and he's basically doing this to like be able to not do mayor stuff anymore? Yeah, yes, you would, you would think that being the mayor of New York is way too full time a job to be running around Iowa and New Hampshire giving speeches. You would think a lot of things, Kevin, but American <laughs> politics and thinking is not part of it. Wait, wait, he's bored of being mayor? Yes, he I'm does sorry. not enjoy being says. mayor. I'm sorry, being mayor of, of New York has got to be... I mean, well, granted, he's termed out soon. I know, but, but I mean, a lot of it is going to, like, festivals and eating 
you know, hot dogs off street vendors and wait, now you're eating pizza and, <laughs> and wait, what's hey, Greg, this? that's what running for president is. I, 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 I have actually read somewhere that Mayor de Blasio eats pizza with a fork. Boo. What? So does Donald Trump. What's wrong with these no, people? No, he does not. That when I took my son to New York a few years ago, it was like his first big New York trip. His his major goals were ride in a yellow cab and eat pizza. And I got him a slice of pizza the size of his actual head. He was delighted. <laughs> he did not eat it with a fork. <laughs> so, okay. So if Bill de Blasio is bored for being mayor, what's uh, Steve Bullock's excuse? You know what? Steve Bullock is actually a really interesting candidate. Because he has a lot going for him. He's a Democrat who's been able to win in a red state. He brings a red state sensibility and understanding of rural issues to the conversation that's really cool. He's somebody that I've had my eye on for over a year after I think my friend Barry pointed him out. Hi, Barry. Thank you. And um, if he was not, you know, the 257th candidate jumping into this race, he would be somebody worth watching. The timing and the, you know, just the the depth of the bench right now are against him. But otherwise I would say Steve Bullock is really somebody to keep an eye on. He would be a great wait for it. Vice president. And nope. He's a he white would guy. be a great secretary of agriculture. Actually. He would be that a would great be better. Uh, energy uh, secretary of energy. Uh, of, oh of yeah. No energy. You're right. You're right on that energy. Not yeah. Energy. energy would be great for him, but you know what? By getting into the primary, and saying, you know what, let's all be together and let's not fight, and uh, which is what he's going to do. And he's not going to take a position to really piss anyone off, um, as as I think like 12, uh, maybe 10 of these people really are going to do because they want positions later on in life because they're not going to win. Um, you know, the, it's the top tier. It's the, it's the Bernie Sanders who are going to be like, I like Joe Biden, but let me tell you. You know, that time I caught him with his fly down, um, you know, and, and those are the people who are going to tell mean and nasty stories. Um, you know, there, everyone else is going to be like, no, everyone's great. This is a love fest. Can't we get along? They're going to pull John Kasich's. I, uh, I tell you what they're doing. They, they are they are all waiting for Joe Biden to stick his foot in his mouth, swallow it whole and blow up his campaign. Yeah, because he has already done that twice. I mean, we are now a month into the Biden campaign, and we're all looking like, wait, where's the gaffe? Where's the dumb comment? Where, where's Joe being Joe? Because none of that has happened since Joe has declared for president. He has, actually man- he has actually managed to run a decent campaign, and I think it has stunned just about everybody in the Democratic Party. I think we, I think we, we all just assumed that Joe Biden would implode on his own gaffes, and, he, and credit to him. He hasn't done it. And so long as he continues to avoid that, he is the odds-on favorite to be nominated. Yeah, no, Joe Biden has the capacity to learn. It's very exciting to see somebody with that. It's, well, it's let me let me offer an alternative point of view on that because, it, you know, that's one way to look at it, Rebecca. Yes, he's improved. He has the capacity to learn. Let me throw another possibility at you. Maybe this whole Joe Biden is a gaffe machine you know, stemmed from one or two things that he's done in the past that he probably wishes he hadn't done. And maybe comedically, we've blown that into a stereotype that really never was true. Because the reality is, listen, the first two times Joe Biden ran for president, he was Steve Bullock. He was an unknown politician from Maryland that people who were wonks knew who he was, but the rest of the country didn't, and he never took off in the primaries. But once you've been a two-term vice president and you're a national figure and you leave office beloved being the vice president of a beloved president, it's a whole different world. So this idea that Joe Biden was going to be the same Joe Biden in 2016 that he was in 1988, maybe that was an error to begin with. And the idea that Joe Biden is going to say something and it's going to be so horrible that it's going to torpedo his campaign. Again, we're in the age of Trump now. Trump says things every three days that should disqualify him from being in public office. And True. people don't care anymore. And I'm telling you something. When Joe Biden does, if he does put his proverbial foot in his mouth, it may only sting him for a day or two because we may be in a different time. And that may be baked into the cake. Yeah, I mean that it's entirely possible. I, I I give you I give you a lot of credit for that that line of thinking, Kevin. And 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 in fact, Kevin, 
emphasized his point by getting Biden's state wrong because he's actually from Delaware, not Maryland. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Proving my point with my own idiocy. Thank you. (laughs) But it actually proved his point about how unknown he was that that Kevin could get his state wrong. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Years after the fact. And and he only ever talks about being from Scranton anyway. He doesn't he doesn't bring up Delaware. He brings up his hometown. Right. Right. you know where he where he actually grew up. The best one of the best political memories was the VP debate between Biden and um, Paul Ryan, and Paul Ryan kept trying to like pit Janesville against Scranton, and it was it, like it, I, I remember writing a satire of it where like Janesville's just as just as rough as Scranton, and Biden's like no one's ever heard of Janesville though. I've been talking about Scranton for decades. <laughs> the most ridiculous. Um, I'm more blue collar than you kind of moment. So is Biden pulling away or uh, is this just is he still, uh, you know, is he his is the Biden balloon still inflated beyond its its true? You have uh, to a lot of a lot of it. The guys on um, Crooked Media pointed this out that, you know, when it comes to name recognition, everyone's heard of Biden. Everyone's heard of Bernie. So when you're presented with a list of candidates and you kind of know who elizabeth warren and kamala harris are and you definitely know who joe biden and bernie sanders are and you haven't the faintest fucking idea who steve bullock is or pete Buttigieg or any of these other people and oh wait beto the guy in the magazine it's going to be easier to pick the people you know when you're being asked to rank these candidates and they also pointed out that um the idea of rank choice of your first choice your second choice has in as a, a weight in Iowa that isn't as significant elsewhere, but definitely comes into play in the caucus system in, you know, in the, in the very early states where, yeah, you know, Bernie's my first choice, but Biden's my second choice. But if everybody else's first choice is Biden, I'm going to end up voting for Biden because he's my second choice. And this is how caucuses work. Or so, vice versa, right. Or right. vice versa. Yeah. But I want to, I want to, and I'm not picking on you, Rebecca. It's just that you're the one that happens to be saying this stuff, but I want to also challenge that um that cliche well i'm going to call it a cliche that we are hearing now in a lot of different media circles that biden is only doing as well as he is because he's a known quantity he's a name quantity again it's not true bernie sanders is as well known as joe biden is and elizabeth warren isn't far behind and in this new social media world that we live in where people are connected on a daily basis, people know who Pete Buttigieg is. They know who Beto O'Rourke is. They know who Kamala Harris is. Maybe not to the extent, but we're not talking about like in, in 2016, you had Lincoln Chafee and you had Jim Webb and, and you had Martin O'Malley, who nobody knew who they were. This is different. Uh- I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far with necessarily Warren or Buttigieg or any of the others. I would agree with you on on Sanders. The fact that Sanders, who is as well known as Biden is, can only get about a third of Biden's support means that's very bad news for Sanders and very good news for Biden. Uh the fact of the matter is I, I saw this on the Republican side in twenty sixteen, where everybody knew who Jeb Bush was. Jeb Bush would have killed for the numbers that Joe Biden was. He would have killed somebody on Fifth <laughs> Avenue for the numbers that Joe Biden has now. Right, right. So the fact of the matter is— And Chris Christie. Yeah, that him too. So the fact of the matter is, yes, Joe Biden does have name recognition and that helps, but name recognition can be can be damaging as much as it can be beneficial. The, the key for Biden, though, is the fact that he does so well among African-American voters— that is a very big deal in a whole lot of primaries. And unless someone can dislodge him as the choice of African-American voters, not, o- not only is he the favorite for now, but he will have staying power long after other candidates uh, other candidates normally would, because for, for, for African-American voters, they've, I mean, they've, cl- they've made it clear they trust Barack Obama's vice president more than they trust anybody else running. That gives Biden an edge that nobody else has. And for African-American voters to be willing to set aside Joe Biden's history with welfare reform and the crime bill out of the 90s and vote for him anyways speaks to the strength of Biden. And 
the belief that he is able to learn and progress and do better once he knows better, because the crime bill of the 90s was bad news, especially for the African-American community. And if they're willing to throw their support behind him now, that is something to listen to because it indicates something admirable about Biden. If we if you want if, if anybody really wants to know why gun regulations have such a hard time politically in the United States of America, there has been one one major gun regulation law that was enacted over the last 30 years. The assault weapons ban? Yes. And the left wing of the Democratic Party is now criticizing anybody who voted for it in 1994. Yeah. And I won't do that because I thought it was fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah, I and, know. And I and I adore Dianne uh, Feinstein for that bill. And if, and if Biden, and he did, vote for it, Boy, I will not hold that against him. No, I wouldn't hold it against him either. So, so here, here's one thing that I think you guys kind of look at the trees instead of the forest, um, because we're into this. This is like our our bag, and this is our and we're, we're wonks, and you know, uh, we we all wear thick glasses. We're we're nerds. We're political nerds, but most people aren't. And if you'd say. Yeah, what do you think about Biden and, and, you know, things he did like 40 years ago? People don't care. People, and the average, and I always say average, I mean, the majority of people don't care. Um, what they do like is the fact that when you think about him, he's a winner. You know, his last two big elections, he won. And people yeah. like that. People, and, his, you know and his last two national debates, he kicked he, ass. Oh, he killed Oh, he it. kicked all he the ass in those it. debates. He was fantastic. Yeah. Biden is a charismatic guy. And he was a great vice president to a black president. A, a loyal, beloved black president. A president. Yeah. So let's let's think about this for a second. And and we'll we'll just be really vague. People liked Donald Trump, even though he was terrible on policies and he did all these terrible things because he presented himself as a ween- winner. I said that. I almost a said that wiener? wrong. <laughs> I almost said that wrong. Excuse me. Well, he presented himself as both. Right. right. He showed himself. He showed himself off as to be a wiener. But no, but no he showed himself. Bernie Sanders, one of his big flaws, I think, for a lot of people is when it came down to it, he could not deliver the goods. He is, and I don't want to use the word loser, but he lost. Okay. And that stink, oh, that's bad stink. That loser stink. <laughs> do you know? And and one of the reasons we're not all sitting here like, oh, gosh, we love Hillary. Hillary Clinton, none of us want Hillary Clinton to run again. Okay. Even though she's awesome. She's got loser stink on her. Yeah, okay. Yeah. She does. No, I, she, I, we, we hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's the thing, and that is why he's going to stay ahead of everybody right now. Right. He just smells. I bet he smells like oatmeal cookies <laughs> and and like caramel, like 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 everyone's grandfather should smell. You know, like oh, you know that oh, it's winter. Oh yeah, that's it. Well, it's, and let's let's get down stuff. to brass tacks. Joe Biden would be a good president. Joe Biden understands foreign policy to a depth and a breadth that nobody else in the field does because he has served on the Foreign Relations Committee for many, many years prior to being vice president. He has been briefed on issues that those most of us have only dreamed about. Joe Biden would um, appoint justices and judges to the court who would be very much in line with the way we view jurisprudence here in this particular group. Joe Biden is willing to sit down and listen compassionately to other people. He doesn't always get it right. He hasn't always gotten it right. But he would do his best to get it right with what he knows in the moment. And I trust him with that responsibility in a way that I don't trust Donald Trump. And I wouldn't complain if I was watching the inauguration of Joe Biden. Do I have a favorite primary candidate who isn't Joe Biden? Sure. A lot of people do. That that's that That isn't to say... I don't think Joe Biden would be good at the job. It's just that I have other priorities and other interests that someone else in the field is running away with right now. And I'm super stoked for her. Is is it Camilla Harris? It's not. It's Elizabeth Warren. I know. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I, let's talk about her, Chris. It's great to see her um, 
reinvigorating. That's not the word I want, but you guys will help me. Her name, like rehabilitating. That's rehabilitating herself. But here's the thing: her we, name. We, yeah, where we came, where we first became aware of Elizabeth Warren was when she didn't get the job at the Consumer uh, Protection Bureau that Obama right. created for her to lead because Republicans completely stomped on her. So she came in and she ran for Senate in Massachusetts, and that was the consolation prize. And then came the whole, is she Native American? Is she not thing? And we allowed Donald Trump to define her from that. And we all were like, okay, she's this wonky professorial type, and I don't know what to think of her. But as it's turned out, she has an incredible way of dealing with the issues and looking at realities and looking at numbers and letters and charts and graphs and all that stuff and taking what is now and what could be and putting numbers and possibilities to it and building out these incredibly detailed plans. And she's doing it knowing that she's giving it away with both hands, knowing that she probably will not be the nominee and knowing that everything she's presenting is stuff that will have to be congressional action and not executive action. So she's giving Congress a blueprint for how to be a better set of progressives. And it's a generosity of spirit and a commitment to principle that is so admirable. And she's also smart and she's right. And what she is suggesting can be done. Will it be done? I don't know. Will it be done in part? probably someday, but that she is willing to hand us all this for free, you know, at a cost of her own Senate seat, at a cost of criticism and, you know, everything the media can throw at a candidate is just wonderful. And I admire her extensively for that. Well, uh, and that is, that may all very well be true. However, there is clearly a method to the nomination that she is looking to employ. She is attempting to present herself as the alternative to Biden rather than Bernie Sanders. If she can actually do that, all bets are off. Right now, Joe Biden's best asset is Bernie Sanders in second place. So long as Bernie Sanders is in second place, all sorts of Democratic voters are going to go, yeah, no, not him, not ever, no effing way. If my alternative is Joe Biden, I'm definitely voting for Joe Biden. I'm not so sure that's going to happen if it's a Biden-Warren clash rather than a Biden-Sanders clash. If Warren can actually get past Bernie Sanders and into second place, she has a much better shot for the nomination, I think, than a lot of people realize. That's a very good analysis. Yeah. Okay, I'm looking at a Fox News poll, which, ooh, that's thrilling. Um, Biden 35, Sanders 17, Warren 9. Um, there, there, there was a poll from a couple of weeks ago that had that had her uh, about a point ahead of Sanders and in second place. I can't remember what. The now poll there's about. a Fox News poll that polled on the general election: Trump versus Warren that put Warren at plus two. It's a Fox News poll that the Fox News people polling would rather vote for Warren than Trump, unless there was suddenly some sort of liberal go click this online poll and say Elizabeth Warren is better than Trump thing. That's interesting. Right. But in the same poll, when they asked Trump versus Biden, Biden was up by like 11. Biden was up by 11. Seven, Sanders was up by five. Right. Should, uh, should, should Elizabeth Warren have done the Fox town hall or was she justified not to? No, she's totally justified not to. I mean, everyone's justified. justified. I mean, you can't force someone to do it. I mean, there's no gun to her head, and she has every right not to. I mean, I I, I hear you're asking was a good strategy, right? You think it was a good strategy? It because it set her apart. It bought her the media cycle. She wins nothing by going on Fox News, um, and she did win the media cycle for that. So yes, it was a good strategy. Will it harm her among potential swing voters? I don't know. I initially thought it did. A number of people said to me, do you think any swing voters actually watch Fox, Rebecca? I don't think they do. They so don't. everybody who's criticizing me was right and I was wrong. I found, I, by the way, I found, it's a, it was a Quinnipiac poll from what is now three weeks ago. It had Warren at 12 and Sanders at 11. Okay. So yeah, the, the more recent polls, the, the margin the, of error. From, yeah. You're right. Margin of error stuff. Um, well, no, uh, Quinnipiac has. Uh, Quinnipiac from the 15th has Biden 39, Sanders 13, Warren 8. Uh, Fox oh, okay. from the 17th has Biden 35, Sanders 17, Warren 9. So it's all it, – these these numbers are essentially the same numbers. But so her name recognition is is doing very well, and she is, you know, tearing off a chunk of 
potential voters. So she's she's doing a great job. And I think we're going to get Elizabeth Warren, whether we get Elizabeth Warren or not, because she is handing us the soul of who she is. She's writing the platform, if nothing else. Correct. Well, and not even the platform, because the platform is so vague. It's like, yeah, we want good things to happen and sprinkle fairy dust on people. She is writing a legislative handbook for a progressive Congress and for progressive state houses. If we can flip state houses, they can start adopting some of her ideas on the state level. She is rewriting democratic policymaking, and she's doing it with the campaign as her platform. And it's amazing. I've never seen anything like this. Greg, I want to come back and address your question, which I think was a a very valid question. And my take on it is twofold. One is from a strategic point of view, I agree. I don't think there's really that many swing voters that are watching Fox. And one hour on Fox is, I don't think it's going to change so many minds that it would have been worth doing. The other thing is, she's going to be walking into the lion's den. And, you know, Bernie Sanders, he did a magnificent job of parrying the Fox News people, and he turned it into a win for him. That didn't even help his poll numbers. But, you know, they're not going to let Elizabeth Warren slip through their teeth the way they let Bernie Sanders. It won't be Brett Baer and and somebody else feeding, you know, softball questions. They'll, they'll send somebody into that, um, if she had done it, they would have sent somebody in who would have come in, you know, locked and loaded with Indian questions and DNA questions, and, you know, how do you get into Harvard questions? And she would have been, she would have been walking into, you know, a, a, a real, you know, a live fire situation. That's number one. But here's the real answer. To All right. Wait, can we, can I answer these as they go? So yes, that go we, ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So one, I think she has to answer those questions. And not the way they're going to put it, where they're going to spin whatever she says. You know what? She, yeah, she's where they started to... out with so Pocahontas. Yeah, yep. right. <laughs> yep. And you know what? She is going to face that on the trail and she has to get it over with. And the sooner she gets that where it's like, that's a joke and we have to get rid of it. And, you know, if she's going to face you mean, it. You mean the way the that trail? Hillary got rid of the email question, right? Yeah. We've that doesn't get... happen, Greg. <laughs> you don't get rid of it. It never goes away. You were the one who just five minutes ago said she has to reinvent herself, and she has no. To I said she, no. I said she, no. I said she has rehabilitated her name. Oh, yes. she hasn't. She hasn't. Maybe to a third. Maybe to that nine percent that she's polling with, okay. but not to the rest of the country. And you know what? Republican housewives, which is who she needs to win, according to someone. Wait, someone whose whose names are only two letters. Who's on this podcast? Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. I, I I would be that person. Move yeah, on. yeah, that's, I, I do listen. I do listen. So the Republican Housewives, you know what show they listen to? It's not MSNBC. Are you calling CNN. DJ a Republican Housewife? It's, it's, yeah, yeah. He he hangs out with all the Republican Housewives at work. That's, that's what he do. Um, Worst reality watching. show ever. DJ with Republican Housewives. Yes, it's, it's, it's like a it's like a female view, except Republican. It's him and Megan McCain. And uh, Abby Huntsman. And DJ. She is going to lose her job on that show because no one likes her anymore. No anyway. one likes her ever. The last two Republican housewives I knew well both divorced me. Keep that in mind. And then you married a liberal girl who's like taking you away from the pro-life community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if my if my if my second wife if my second wife ever finds out about this, she is going to be completely floored. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to come back, Greg, and and uh, respond to your point again. That's assuming with, I have it broken, Greg. But go on. <laughs> with, with what I think is really the answer to your question, which is she didn't want to do it because she believes the stance that she took, and. I think, you know, people are so cynical. They think that everything is about what's best for me, what it, what polls best, what strategically is going to play in Iowa and New Hampshire. I really believe that she took the stance that she took because she believes that Fox is an evil corporation and she doesn't want to enrich it. And that is consistent with everything we know about her as a person and a politician. So when we all sit around and say, maybe she should have, I say, maybe she shouldn't have, blah, blah, blah. The real answer to that question is she did it because she believes what she said. And I give her credit for that. And on that note, Kevin, take us out, please. 
And on that note, we want to thank everybody for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at hashtag MPU Podcast and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash More Perfect Union Podcast. And share our link on your Facebook timeline so your friends can discover Charo as well. And if you would like to join our political debates between shows, join us in our Facebook group, Open Fire Politics. And also Open Fire Sex and Relationships, and Open Fire Food and Fitness, and Open Fire Entertainment Fun and Games. We have five or four different, I don't know how many, Open Fire groups. I am raking in the bucks on these things, folks. So join and make me even richer than I already am. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious that we've added fitness to the food group. I need to go back in that one and talk to people. (laughs) Anyways, that's our podcast for tonight. Greg... What's going to be the highlight of your week to come? Well, I was going to see if Charo ever appeared on Night Court. That was going to see like if my <laughs> Venn diagrams. To my knowledge, no, but I, I'm not sure. Honestly, have you ever met Charo? No. Oh, you, now you're just saying that to piss me off. <laughs> <laughs>